The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9.45 or 11.30 a.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. This morning, we are kicking off our new series, Survival Essentials. And this morning, what we're talking about is the essential of solitude. And so, you know, being alone can be, especially if you're alone in the wilderness, that can be a very dangerous thing. You've got to know how to survive in the wilderness alone. And so we wanted to bring out our survival expert so you can get a tip on how to survive. Um, So would you please welcome with me Survival Dan. Wow. Morning. That was quite an entrance, Survival Dan. By the way, you look filthy, by the way. Yeah, I was just out in the Everglades wrestling a snow leopard. Uh, um, I'm pretty sure you were just doing the announcements like two seconds ago. No, that wasn't me. That was another guy. Handsome devil, though. You weren't here doing the announcements. Nope. Agree to disagree. It wasn't me. Okay. um, I was... Snow Leopard. All right, well, we, we need a survival tip. So if you're alone in the wilderness, things go wrong, what would be a survival tip for us to survive? We, we need this to make Okay, it. good. Often I do a lot of hiking and mountaineering and climbing, and almost every time I'm out in the wilderness, I usually get lost. And a big important part of whenever you're out in the wilderness and you're lost is how to make a distress signal. So today we're going to talk about how to make an effective distress signal. Okay, so like a distress signal, if I'm yep. lost and there's helicopters looking yep. for me, how to alert them where I am. That's correct. Okay. Yes, it's not as easy as it sounds. The first thing you want to do is remain calm, and then you want to make something simple. Like I brought a picture with me. This time I was in the Andes. I got lost, and I made a distress signal that looked like this. Okay. Wow, yep. that's treacherous terrain there. Okay, yep. so you carved into the snow... SOS, and that let them know where you are. SOS, that's easy. I think pretty much anyone could do that. Don't get ahead of yourself. It's not as easy as it sounds. At least a third of the time, things go wrong. Okay. Like this other time I was hiking, and this happened instead. <laughs> you, you, uh, you misspelled SOS. It's a common misspelling. You'd be surprised. It oh. happens often. Okay. So when I realized things were going wrong, I opted oh for something more... Traditional, something more familiar, if you will. So I did that. (laughs) That says HLEP. Well, to recap, when you're out in the woods and you're lost, what you want to do is make sure you make a good distress signal that lets people know that you're there and you need help. Okay, that was not nearly as helpful as I was hoping. Well, Um, life or death. Okay, um, we'll try and do better next week. Would you just help us thank Survival Dan, I think. Thank you. All right, I'd like to apologize. We'll try and do better, get a better, more useful survival tip uh, for next week. We are talking about the survival skill of solitude. Um, Getting alone, that is a skill that every person needs. Um, There are all kinds of survival skills that you need, and not just when you're in the wilderness. If you're alone in the wilderness, there's different kinds of survival skills. But you know, this life is crazy enough that there's all types of skills you need to just survive in this world as it is. And so what we're really focusing on in this series is four skills 
every mathetes needs. Now you hear that word mathetes, you say, what is that word? That's a word we use a lot around here. The word mathetes very simply means, it's, the, it's an ancient Greek word, and it's the original word used in the Bible to describe a Christ follower, a Christian, someone who is following after Jesus. The original ancient Greek word is mathetes. And so we use that word around here because um, it's translated in your Bibles often as disciple. But we want to use that original word because we don't want to import any of our meanings into it. We want to get the original meaning that Jesus meant when he's talking about how to follow after Jesus. So we use this word Mathetes, because what we see Jesus describing is someone who is all in, no holds barred, there's nothing that's going to get in their way of following Jesus. When he describes a Mathetes, he's describing someone who says, following after Jesus is my first priority, everything else is secondary, and that's who we want to become, and we want to see more people becoming followers of Christ, becoming Mathetes, just like that. So we're going to look at one of these essential skills, um, and we're going to look in the book of Luke chapter 5. If you go ahead and turn there in your Bibles or your Bible app, Luke chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be up here uh, on the screens as well. Luke 5, we're going to look at verse 12. And just an idea of what this passage, what this book is, is it's written by a guy named Luke. It's actually a biography of Jesus. It's the story of Jesus. It focuses primarily on his ministry. So let's take a look at this. Luke 5, starting in verse 12. It says this. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. All right, so let's get an idea of what's happening in this episode of Jesus' ministry. He's walking through a city, and so there's crowds around him, they're following him, and a man comes running in, and he throws himself on his face, and it describes the man as having leprosy. Now, what is leprosy? Leprosy is kind of a general term for all kinds of skin diseases in the ancient times. Some of these were were pretty severe. It's almost like a a flesh-rotting disease that many people had. They would uh, lose feeling in their appendages. They would sometimes lose fingers. They might lose facial features. I mean, it was pretty grotesque. This was one of the diseases that people feared the most. In fact, um, as far as the, the law is concerned, in Israel, if you had leprosy, you were considered unclean. You hear this leper talking about, make me clean. They're considered unclean, and they would have to live outside of the city for fear of contaminating someone else. So I want you to picture this scene. It says about this leper, he's full of leprosy. This is kind of a tragic scene. I mean, honestly, this man just probably looked like a monster. I mean, he is, he is probably covered as much as he can. And when he walks through, you can imagine people are backing up. They're dividing. He throws himself on his face and is begs Jesus, I know you can. Are you willing to make me clean? Interesting language. He doesn't say, will you heal me? He specifically focuses, will you make me clean? 
It's this beautiful scene where Jesus, maybe he kneels down or bends down next to him and he touches him. Now I want you to imagine, this is probably, this could be the first human contact this man has had, maybe in years. He touches him and he says, I will. Be clean. And he sends him, he says, all right, now go show yourself to the priest because if you were a leper, if you, if you believed that you were healed, the next steps are you would go show yourself to a priest. The priest would inspect you and say, yes, you're clean. You can re-enter back into the community. So he says, I will be clean. And the man um, goes off to the, to the priest. And I mean, this is an incredible, incredible moment. I mean, can you imagine as soon as Jesus leaned down to touch him, can you imagine when he lays his hands on the man? I picture him getting on his knees. His man's not even looking at Jesus. And I imagine him just putting his hands on his shoulders. And can you imagine the crowd probably like gasped? Jesus, you could get leprosy. He puts his hands on his shoulders and the crowd, astonished, this man runs to show himself to the priest. And, and here's an interesting thing that Jesus says. Did you notice Jesus doesn't say, hey, now that you know that I can heal, that's an evidence that I'm the Messiah. He doesn't say, now go tell everyone that you know. He doesn't say that, right? No, what he says is he says, don't tell anyone. Now, this is kind of an interesting statement to make, and we get a little bit of a clue as to why. This is a common thing that Jesus does at this stage in his ministry. He's trying to hold back the reports. He will tell people, heal them, and say, don't tell them. Don't tell anyone. But this is what happens. Look in verse 15. Look what it says. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Here's this dynamic that happens with Jesus. As much as he's trying to say, okay, um, hold off, don't tell anyone. I mean, very quickly, as you can imagine, crowds begin to form around him. And the way it describes is almost like this frenzied crowd because they're not just here to hear his teaching. It's not like, wow, this guy, he can really, he's teaching the Bible the way we've never heard it. He's healing them. So there's people that are like bringing their children to him and they are crowding in and crowds are following him all around. Now, in 1964, there was a rock band that landed in New York City. This is early February. They were from England and they arrived to about 2,000 screaming, hysterical teenagers, even though they hadn't had a ton of success selling records yet. And the reason that they came over to the United States was because uh, Ed Sullivan had seen this crowd in the, in the airport in England, had seen a crowd of teenagers around like, who is this band? And someone said, oh, this band is called the Beatles. They're huge over here in Europe. He says, well, man, I would love to have them. I need to have them on my show. And so for the first time, the Beatles having no idea, they talk about how nervous they were to fly over to America. They didn't know, did anyone know them? And they land in London, and there's already 2,000 screaming teenagers waiting for them. Ed Sullivan had, him, uh, had them on his show, and it's estimated that the, the ratings for that TV show just broke all the records. It estimates that 40% of America watched them on the Ed Sullivan show. And the craze just exploded. 
They played their first concert in the U.S. a couple days later in Washington, D.C. They were already so swarmed that they had to have wigs on decoys running around because the, the fans were mobbing them. A woman ran out of the crowd at one point with scissors, runs up behind Ringo and cuts off a lock of his hair. Okay, I mean, it was crazy. They come down to Miami on that trip. They were in the United States for two weeks. They come down to Miami. There's famous pictures of them getting a photo op with uh, Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, and they played on the beach on, uh, in Miami, did another show, and then, uh, which, by the way, they reported was their favorite part of their entire trip was hanging out in Miami, just saying. Um, they arrive back in England, and if you thought the craze in America was just unbelievable, the scene when they landed back in England is is just, you can't, you can't even imagine it. Look at this video. This is historical footage. You reckon those crushed barriers will stand the strain? Never mind crush barriers, the Beatles fans would smash the sound barrier. Yeah, that's crazy. Okay, that, that is crazy. Hysterical. If you watch the rest of the video footage, like girls that have swooned are being passed up over the fence to security. I mean, it is hysteria. Okay. Now, you're probably saying, are you about to compare the crowds around Jesus to the crowds around the Beatles? Okay. Maybe it's not like that, but this is not, they're crowding around Jesus. They're not, it's not just because they like his rock music. They're crowding around Jesus because he's healing their children. There are reports when he's going through cities where they're bumping up against him and his security, like safety becomes an issue. He's teaching one time and they're pressing against him and they're pressing him back into the Sea of Galilee and he has to get in a boat, pull off the shore so he can continue teaching. There's one time where he's walking because this man says, my daughter is, is dead and, and can you come heal her? And he's on his way and, then, and there's crowds bumping into him as they're going to see what's about to happen. And this woman crawls to the crowd. She has been sick for over a decade and he can find no healing, and she just reaches out and touches the edge of his garment, and immediately she's healed. He doesn't even know who she is, but he can tell that she was just healed. And he says, okay, who was that? Who just touched me? And the disciple's like, are you serious? About 300 people just touched you. They're just banging you around as you're walking through here. Are you serious? There's one time he is in this, he, he's in this uh, house, and they're so pressed into this house that people are trying to hear from the outside. They're all crowded around. And then there's these four guys who have a friend who's paralyzed. And they take him on this, uh, on this cot. They climb to the roof of the house. They start ripping the roof off the house. And they just drop this guy in. Jesus is teaching, and all of a sudden there's particles falling down, and this guy is descending from the roof. And he stops his teaching and heals the guy right on the spot. I mean, this is, there, it's unbelievable. I don't know what it looked like, but it, it was crazy, the pressures on Jesus. He would teach and he would heal all day. He would get, finally get on the boat and be like, all right, let's, we have to go across the Sea of Galilee. And the crowds would see where he's going. They would all run around the entire sea and they would get to the other side waiting for him. He would try and go off alone with the disciples. They would go looking for him and find him. 
There is a craze around Jesus because of his teaching that they've never heard and because he's working miracles and he's healing. Understanding the pressure that Jesus was under, the understanding what it looked like, the pace of Jesus' life, is so helpful to appreciate this next verse. Look at verse 16. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Now this is the way Luke is saying this, is he's saying, man, this is like a common pattern for Jesus. This is what he would do. He would, and we have accounts where he would go off to pray and the crowds would be searching, finding him. Sometimes he goes up into a mountain. Sometimes he goes into a desert area. He, he says, it's, this is what he would do. We have accounts. He says he would, this is his pattern, find desolate places to pray. Let me just give you a little sampling of some of those verses. This is in another biography. This is Matthew. And it says, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. In Mark, another biography says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Later in the book of Luke, it says this, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. I want you to think about this. The unbelievable constant pressure that Jesus is under. And I want you to think about, okay, it's understanding he has a lot of pressure, but at the same time, this is the Son of God. I mean, if there's ever one guy that we could say, he probably doesn't need to do his devotions. It might be Jesus. But here's what it says. Man, this was his pattern. He would be with these people all day, and then he would go get alone. He would do whatever it took. He would say, okay, what we're going to do is we need to leave these crowds. We're going to sail to the other side. I'm going to go find a spot in the mountain because I need to be alone to pray. I need to reconnect with God. Mathetes. Those, who, those of us who are saying, man, I want to be like you, Jesus. I am following after you. The path that you walked, I want to walk in that path. I'm going to let nothing get in the way. No obstacles. That is my first priority. I'm all in, all or nothing, following Jesus. If you consider yourself a mathetes, a follower of Christ, this practice is absolutely essential for your survival. It's essential. Getting alone, departing, getting alone to a desolate place, so to speak, getting alone and getting that time with God. What does that mean? It's, we're not talking like there's a list of spiritual chores that you need to check off. Okay, I need to read one chapter in the Bible. Check that off. I need to say this prayer, the same thing over and over. Check that off. And I've got these people I need to pray for. Check, check, check. It's not what we're talking about. It's not a religious ritual, what we're talking about. Getting that space to get alone and reconnecting with God. Imagine what, this is what this is talking about. This is the almighty God. This is the one who invented you, the one who created you, who knows every fiber in your body, understands your personality, wired that together. He knows your circumstances better than you do. He's keeping track of your thoughts better than you do. He understands your goals, your desires, your hurts, your insecurities. That's the one we're talking about. He knows you more intimately than any other being. He made you. It's the most important relationship in your life. This is 
This is God, the, the intimacy of your relationship. It's making space to get alone and connecting with your creator. This is who this is. We have the privilege of having an audience, a personal audience with, all, with the Almighty. That's the one who is currently intimately aware of what is happening on Saturn. The one who knows, who, who knows the entire universe, it's small in his hand, and yet we have the unbelievable privilege of having an audience, a personal audience with Almighty God. Who is this one that we're meeting with? This God is the one. He is the source of all beauty, all joy. He is the source of all that is good. It's, we, we're, we're told in Scripture that we basically have a, a God-shaped hole in our hearts. We, he is the one that is satisfying our longings. We, we are created to be satisfied in the being of God. Remember, we're not talking about a, a concept we're not talking about thinking about a theory of God. It's not chewing on biblical data. It's not thinking just on theological truths. It's getting time to connect intimately with the being of God, the Almighty, your Creator. And this is a pattern that we see in Jesus' life. This is what Jesus did. And if we're saying, I want to be like you, this will have to be a pattern in our life. Now, the thing about looking at Jesus' example of this time of solitude, some people call this solitude time their quiet time, their devotions, their time with the Lord, whatever you call it. It's getting alone to connect with God. Here's so often, what's so important about seeing this example of Jesus is it kind of undermines the excuses we often give. Man, I, I know that's important and you're talking about it and I probably should do that, man, but this is just one of those really crazy busy seasons in my life. I'm just, it's, I can't even find time to do anything. I'm just really, really busy, so busy. So often that's our excuse. But remember, when we say we're busy, what we're really saying is we, it's not that we have a shortage of time. Every human being has the same amount of time. When I say I'm too busy, all I'm revealing is my priorities are out of whack. All I'm you have the same amount of time. You're just saying all these things are more important and I can't remove any one of these things for this thing. That's just revealing priorities. Here's the other thing. It's tough to look at Jesus who was pretty busy. It's tough to look at Jesus and say, I know Jesus was busy, but I'm really busy. It's tough to say, I'm busier than Jesus. I mean, Jesus had the luxury of praying. I don't have that luxury, okay? It's kind of tough to say that. This was a pattern in Jesus' life. Our first excuse is, you don't understand, this is a really crazy time. You're probably right, I don't understand. But look at Jesus' life. He found a way. Here's the second excuse we commonly make. But this is not the one that we say out loud, but this is the one that we think. I'm too needed you don't understand. I mean, if I don't answer this call right now, I mean, uh, the world is going to end. I mean, if I, I've got emails coming in, I, if I don't answer these, this is what happens at work, and I've got to be right there for this, and I've got to check that, and, and then I've got all this stuff at home, and I've got to keep all these plates going. And really what we're saying is, I'm so needed, I, the world can't last if I don't pull out for a short time and take time with my Creator. 
But here's, again, Jesus' example kind of undermines that because here's what we're saying. We kind of are having a Messiah complex. We're kind of saying, I'm here to save all these things. The world can't survive without me. But when we look at the actual Messiah, the one who literally was there to save the world, the the universe is depending on what the Messiah does, he makes time to stop and connect with God. We sometimes we say, ah, I'm too busy, we think I'm too needed, but I think honestly most of the time, this is our biggest excuse. I'm just too tired. I'm just too tired. Man, I gotta tell you, I've got so much going on, and I'm not saying I'm like the busiest person in the universe, but man, I just have so much going on. When I get to the end of the day, it's like I don't have anything left. I mean, I, I have about all the energy I have is to sit on my couch, get my remote, and do this motion right here with one finger, watch some TV. I can do that, but about nothing else, okay? I'm just so tired. But see, here's the problem with that excuse. It's misunderstanding what this time is for. This time is not another chore. It's not like spiritually pulling weeds. This is a time to connect with our creator. Let me give you an example. Let's say you spent the day on a 20-mile hike and you're wearing a backpack that you've been backpacking. It's a 100-pound backpack. You walk in the door at the end of the day. You're exhausted. You, are, you, can, you can barely stand. Your muscles are sore. You still have this heavy 100-pound pack on your back, and you're, you're dirty. You're covered with grime in the swamp that you just went through, and you come, and you're like, I am so tired. I can't do anything but sit in front, on my couch and watch some TV, and so you go to the couch, and you just lean down on the couch. You don't change your clothes. You don't shower. You don't take off your backpack. You just sit there on the couch. I'm just too tired to do any of this. And then you say, okay, I'm too tired. And you get up from the couch and say, okay, I'm going to go to bed. And you go up to your bed, and you just lay down in your bed with your backpack and your grime and your hiking boots still on. See, there's something like if you're saying, man, I am so exhausted from my day, then you're like, at least, like, take your bag off. Like, at least change your clothes. Like, get a shower. That'll help you feel better. See, this is what meeting with your creator is like. You take your burdens off. You say, I am so exhausted because of all these burdens. I need to take some time alone with my Savior, with Jesus, with my Creator, and cast my burdens at His feet. God, I know this is weighing down. I don't know what I can do. I'm I'm out of options. God, you've got to help me. And then I slowly unbuckle the bag and I say, you know what? You're a good God. You love me. And you're the one that's going to carry this for me. It's when we say, oh man, I... I'm so, I feel so dirty from this day. God, you know, once again, I feel like I've messed up over and I feel like I can barely come in your presence. I just feel dirty and grimy because I messed up. I fell back into that same sin again and you go before God and he reminds you, no, you're not. You're washed clean by the blood of Jesus. Look at you, you're spotless and you look down and you're like, oh, praise God for the gospel. Praise God for what you did on the cross, Jesus. He reminds you that you're washed clean. It's when you come in with the soreness from the day, you've got insecurities of the failures and from all of the expectations you're trying to live up to and the goals that you have for your life and and what you feel like is going to make you matter and you've got all the things that are discouraging you, depressing you, making you insecure. It's like you're, you're going before God and it's like he's working those knots out and he's reminding you, do you realize who you are? You've been adopted. You are an heir. 
You've been adopted in. The king of the universe is saying, you are my child. You can, nothing you could do could separate you, from my, could separate you from my love, he says. And he's working out those hurts and those pains that we have. See, the problem when we say, oh, I'm just too tired to spend time with God, we don't understand why we're meeting with God. He's saying, I'm here to take your burdens off. I'm here to give you rest. I'm here so that your only option is not let me just distract my mind from the weight that I have, but the reality is I'm still going to wear this weight when I turn off the distraction. He says, let me take that off of your shoulders as you come and you meet with me. See, Mathetes, Christ follower, this is absolutely essential this time with God. It is absolutely essential for our survival. So let's talk about three, we'll talk about three practical ways. You say, okay, you're going to have to help me how, how to do this. I don't know how to do this. So let's talk about three things. This is the SOS of survival, uh, surviving with solitude. This is the SOS of solitude. This is how to do it. Here's the first one. The S is make the space. This is the first thing that we have to do. You have to carve out the time. You have to say, okay, I know that I've got, I'm busy, but this is a priority, so what am I going to lose so that I can do this? I've got to choose to make the space. I've got to carve it out. I've got to put it in the calendar. I've got to make the space in my life. Now, just a couple pastoral recommendations. These things aren't in the Bible. These aren't laws. I just want to share just some recommendations that I just think are basic wisdom. Here's the first thing. I recommend do it in the morning, first thing. Even if you're not a morning person, just make a little stronger coffee in the morning, okay? First thing, here's why. Get up, get up a little bit earlier, get down before you, before you turn on the news, before you read the paper, before you look at your email and your text message, and before you look at social media, before you do any of that, get your coffee, maybe brush your teeth, that's probably a good idea. Get your coffee and get that time with God, because here's why. The moment you get into firefighter mode, you can't get back to solitude mode. You check that one email and you're like, oh, well, I got to at least just do this one real quick. And then all of a sudden this one, well, I got to do this. And then before you know it, you've got to rush off to work. And then now you're at work and now the kids need this or, or need that or you're at work. And now all those things happen. Like, okay, well, I'll have quiet time during my lunch break. And then you get to your lunch break and now all this stuff and you've completely forgotten and you've got five minutes left. And you're like, okay, I got to get back to work. So tonight before I go to bed, I'll take this time. And you get to the end of the bed and the kids happen and this one threw up at school and this one punched that one and you're kind of going through all that and at the end you're like, okay, I have got nothing. I, I don't, I, I've, you don't even remember till you're lying in bed and you're like, okay, well, I'll just pray for a minute and you get three words out of your mouth and then you're, you're out. You're sound asleep. Here's a, this isn't in the Bible. I just know that a lot of godly Christian people have said, look, just start there. First thing, just a recommendation. You say, okay, well, how long are we talking? Again, there's no law, there's no formula for how long you space out. Just my recommendation, I, I, it's hard for me to see how you can take some time, read the Bible a little bit, talk about how you're going to apply it to your life, unburden yourself before God. I think it's going to be tight to do that in less than 30 minutes. There's not a, this is not a rule. If you can spend an hour, that's great. But just kind of as a starting place, maybe you just carve out 30 minutes. You go to bed 30 minutes earlier tonight. You get up 30 minutes earlier in the morning with your coffee, and you just spend that 30 minutes. You just start there, and maybe after a while you're like, man, this is so, I need this so much. Maybe you expand it from there. Just some basic things. First thing in the SOS of solitude, make the space. Here's the second one. 
Second one is this, know the options. You say, okay, well, what do I do in that time? Like, what do I do for, for 30 minutes or an hour with, alone with God? I don't know really what to do. Um, he, there's so many tools, so many options for how to take that time. Remember, this is not a religious ritual. God's not like, okay, he read his Bible, check. No, you're connecting with the being of God. Remember, he is a living, dynamic being. He's more alive than you are. It's the time to meet with that, in that dynamic with God. So let me just give you some ideas on, on the options. Think in terms of inhaling and exhaling. There are things that you take in and there's things that you breathe out with God. The things that you take in, you read in the Bible. Maybe you start, you say, okay, I don't, where do I start with the Bible? I've never read the Bible before. My recommendation is read the Bible like you'd watch the Star Wars saga, Okay. If you're watching, you're like, okay, this is going to be heretical. I don't know how, but it's going to be heresy somehow. Okay, the Star Wars saga, if you, you don't start with episode one, start with episode four. That's the best place to start. Okay, my recommendation with the Bible, start with the Gospels. Start in the New Testament. Start with the biographies of Jesus. Maybe you take Luke or Mark or John or Matthew and you just start there. Maybe you read a chapter or you read a little section and you just say, okay, what did this just say? What, is it, what does it mean? What needs to be changed in my life? Very simple. And you say, okay, here's how I'm going to change this. Here's how I'm going to live differently today or think differently about God. Here's what I'm going to do. Maybe you go over to the, the resource center and you pick that, which is right back there through the multipurpose room, and you say, okay, I'm going to find a book that talks about some biblical passages and I want to read through that. We've been talking about this book, The Treasure Principle, for the last several weeks. Maybe you read a part of that for just a few minutes every morning. You read through that and you're starting to intake the truth of Scripture. Maybe you listen to a sermon. We live in a generation, no generation in history has had access to biblical teaching like we have. And maybe you sit down and you say, okay, for 20 minutes I'm going to listen to part of a sermon and just kind of think about it. Maybe you, you take that in. So you're, you're inhaling. Um, there's, a, there's a teaching series we did a couple years ago. Um, it's called How to Read the Bible for Dummies. It's on our website. Maybe you go listen to that and you just kind of learn, okay, I, gotta, I want to know how to read the Bible for myself. Maybe you download that and you listen to that. That's inhaling. Exhaling. This is where you're pouring yourself out to God. There's so many great tools for this. Some of you can just sit quietly and just kind of pray in your mind. If you're like me, I'm too distractible for that. So some of you pray, you can pray out loud. You can go for a prayer walk. Some of you just journal. It's like you're writing a letter or you're just unpacking your thoughts before God. You're just pouring out your heart. Sometimes um, the, the exhale is praising God. You put on worship music and you're just singing to God out these, these praises in your mind. You're, you are singing out to God. Think of inhale, taking in truth, and exhale. You're venting. You're, you're, you're sharing with God. You're saying, God, these are the things I, I ask your request. God, these are the things that I love about you. You're praising him. You're thanking him. You're exhaling to God. Think about inhale and exhale. There are so many great tools that you can use in that time to connect with God. Make the space, know the options, and here's the third one. Keep it sacred. This has got to be a priority in our lives. There's too many things that crowd in. This is not the kind of thing, this is not a time for multitasking. Well, I'm going to be mowing the lawn anyway. I could just kind of do some prayers and kind of do them both at the same time. Or, you know, I could... I could kind of read the Bible and be on the treadmill at the same time. I've got a long commute, so I'll just do that at the same time. Don't multitask. Notice what Jesus did? He went to a desolate place. He went up on a mountain, went into a desert. 
Find a place in your house where the kids know, when you see me sitting in this chair and I've got my Bible open, this is not the time. It can wait. Okay, if someone's not bleeding, it can wait. Okay, you find a place, keep it sacred. Get to your desolate place, so to speak. It's not a, turn off the phone, turn off the TV, turn, it's not, emails are not notifying you, and turn, for goodness sake, turn off social media. Okay, turn off all those things. Get alone with God in a desolate place because you, are, you have the unbelievable privilege of connecting with the Almighty God. It's not a theory, it's not a concept, it's the living being your creator who's in relationship with you. And this is absolutely, this skill is absolutely vital for your survival. It's what Jesus did. And it's what, if we're saying, yes, I'm following after you, Jesus, we've got to have this skill in our lives. In our home, we have, uh, Rebecca and I have a daughter and a Scarlet and our son, Nehemiah. And so we're teaching him, you know, about prayer, but we don't use the term pray, we talk about, we say, we're going to talk to Jesus. And the idea is we use that phrasing because we want them always to know that dynamic. It's not just a ritual. We're actually communicating to Jesus. Jesus, when he ascended back to heaven, he says, I'll be with you always. So we're talking to Jesus. And so um, I was, Scarlett had just had a bath. We're about to go through the nighttime routine, and I'm, I'm kind of combing her hair. And so she just says, well, you're going to comb my hair, and then you're going to brush, brush my teeth, and, and then we're going to go into the room, and you're going to read a story, and we're going to sing a song, and then we're going to talk to Jesus, and then I'm going to go to bed. And I said, that's right, we're going to talk to Jesus. And I'm like, okay, this is one of those moments, this father-daughter moments. I said, you know, Scarlett, you know, you can, you can talk to Jesus anytime. You know, it's not just before you go to bed. You know, you can talk to Jesus anytime. And I see her quiet for a second. I'm like, oh, this is one of those moments you pray for. You know, she's just getting it in her mind. She's realizing it. And she goes, can I have a jelly bean? <laughs> we'll keep trying, okay, with her. <laughs> but that, there's so much truth in that. You're talking with Jesus. Who is this Jesus? He's the one when the monstrous leper begs him when the crowd is backing up. He walks to him. And did you notice that detail that Luke gives us? He touches him. Jesus did all different kinds of things when he healed. Sometimes he thought it. There's a guy across town, his servant was sick. He's like, okay, he's healed. One time he took mud and he put it on someone's eyes. Sometimes he straightened someone's arm. Sometimes he picked up a, a lame person. Sometimes he just spoke it. But Luke gives us this detail in this tiny little passage. He gives us this detail. He gets down and he touches him. And the crowd probably gasped. And do you realize what's happening? Think about that detail. This is your Jesus. Do you realize he's touching the leper making him clean and by touching him Jesus is becoming unclean. There's an exchange that happens with this leper. It's like he takes his uncleanness off of him, taking it on himself, making him clean. What's so powerful about this little section is it's a microcosm of who Jesus is and what he came to do. He didn't just come to teach us some tips on how to live better. He came to this earth to be, he was the son of God. He was perfect. He was totally clean. He never sinned. He never had selfish thoughts, lustful thoughts, cheating thoughts, greedy thoughts. He never had any of those kind of thoughts. He was perfect before God. He was sinless. But they nailed him to the cross as a criminal. 
And what we learn was taking place is God was saying, okay, I'm going to punish you, Jesus. It says he became sin for us. Jesus was punished. Here's what happened. He took our uncleanness. All the reasons before a holy God that we don't deserve to stand before a holy God. We don't deserve to have time alone connecting with our creator because of our sin, the things we've done to break God's commands. But Jesus took all of that uncleanness on himself, washing us clean. That's your Jesus. That's how much he loves you. He washed you clean, and it's because of him that you can stand before God and go before him and make this a priority in your life. You may be here and you may be saying, look, if I'm honest, I feel like I'm standing before God and I feel unclean today. We say, man, if you knew my life, you'd know that I just, things I've done, the things that I'm stuck doing, the things I can't stop doing, I just feel unclean before God. You're saying, I just feel like I don't even, God doesn't want me to be in his presence and here's the good news for you. God is saying, no, I have, I'm offering you forgiveness. I'm offering you to be washed clean. I've put all of your sin on Jesus. Just fix your eyes on Jesus. Accept that free gift of forgiveness and I will pour out my grace on you every day, every morning. Grace is new for you. You are washed clean. You are living in a perpetual state of forgiveness. Saying, I'm offering you that today. You just have to accept Jesus. Accept that salvation. Accept that forgiveness. Is that you? You say, I want to be washed clean today. I want to give you that opportunity right now. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If that's you, would you just pray this simple prayer right there, right there between you and God in your heart. Just say this to God. Say, God, thank you. Thank you for not being repelled by my uncleanness. Thank you for not being repelled by my spiritual leprosy. Thank you that you're the one that reaches out and takes my uncleanness. Jesus, thank you for taking my, my sin on the cross and washing me clean. Say to, say to Jesus, I want to be saved today. I want to know that I'm perfectly forgiven. I'm going to follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.